Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James as we continue our study walking through the letter of James. We'll be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Now, as many of you know, I enjoy learning and reading about the stories and events and people of history. And one part of history that I find myself often returning to is the period of World War II. It was a devastating war, as you know, and you can't but know, if you know anything about World War II. It was filled with stories of heroism, stories of sacrifice, as well as stories of atrocities and of great and immense loss. And the truth is, and we all know this, I almost don't even have to say it, but I will, that wars aren't pleasant. Since we sinned against God way back in Genesis chapter 3, people have been at odds not just with God, but we have been at odds with one another. There have been big and there have been small battles. And there have been wars between peoples and nations, even as we're seeing now, like with Russia and Ukraine. But outside of those, there have also been these little, you know, interpersonal kind of wars that we have as well that we've been fighting. There have been these little wars or conflicts or strife that we have between people, between, you know, perhaps, you know, one another in a variety of ways, between husbands and wives, between parents and their children, among families, among siblings, among co-workers, among believers. Now, among that, all those people I mentioned, I'm sure maybe even you thought of one among those right now that you have a conflict with or you have had a conflict with. And it's been going on and it's going on even up to this very day. And so the truth is, even after all of these years since the fall, the heart behind all of that and those conflicts and wars, whether big or small, has not changed. And so this morning, James directly speaks to this, to why we so often fight and quarrel and war with one another. And so he looks directly at the root of our warring against one another And as he does that, he calls for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls for you and I to deal with these conflicts and these wars and these fights and these quarrels. And he calls for us to be different. And so may we be different. And so to see this, let's read here then beginning with verse 1 of James chapter 4. So may God help us, humble us, and work 
in us this morning. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what or part of what makes James such a challenging book isn't because he's unclear. (laughs) He has been throughout the letter of James perhaps clearer than we would have liked And maybe you have felt that as we have walked along throughout the letter of James. He is indeed very clear. And the challenge is this tug that you have within you as you are walking through the book, as you read it, as you hear it, by God's grace, as you receive it. And so James, he presses us to wrestle, not with others going around and saying, well, that's the problem. That person is the reason why I'm doing this or that. He calls us not to go around doing all of that. But what has he been calling us to do? He's been calling you and me to wrestle not with all of those people and saying, well, you're the reason I'm the way I am but to wrestle with ourselves in our own hearts. We've actually seen that many times in this letter. I don't think it's an accident that he begins the letter back in chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, this way. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. I'm not going to preach all that again. But we can't then go when we sin and say, God, it is your fault. That's why there's a war in Ukraine. That's why all this fighting is happening in my family. That's why I'm struggling in my marriage. You can't do that because it's not true. But it doesn't end there. In verses 13 and 14, it continues and tells us exactly why. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Now that does not point at others. It points at us. And it points at you. And it points at me. And that right there, my friends, is the tug that we have been having as we've been walking through this letter. There is the wrestling that we have been experiencing again and again as we've been walking through the letter of James. And maybe you haven't been here and walked through this letter with us. Well, today then, as you feel that tug, that is what is going on. We need to see what that is. And it isn't an it. It's a he. The Spirit of God is doing his work in his children. And so as you come this morning and you hear all these things and you feel those tugs and you see how hard it is to walk through these words as we've been walking through them over these last few months, as you feel that tug, you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and even if you're not today, may it be that you would say, even right now at the beginning of this sermon, and simply say, I want that. I don't want more lies. I don't want more things that are not true. I don't want deceptions. I don't want illusions. I want the truth. Amen. And that is hard, but say right now, I want that. I want, if you don't know Christ this morning, I want to know God. It may be that you would know him this morning and that through Christ by faith. And if you are a believer this morning, that you would say, I want this. I want to be more like Christ. Lord, do that hard work in my heart. Make me wrestle. Yes, do that and change me and conform me to Christ. And so may that be our heart right at the beginning here today. And so as we see that then, this tugging, this wrestling that we've been having and probably will be having today, we see why we've really been wrestling through this letter And so James, he makes clear what's really going on behind all that, but also behind our wars, behind our conflicts, behind our disputes, behind our fighting. As you hear that, don't go to the world to say, well, why am I fighting with my husband, with my wife, my children? Look right here, because you are told why you are having these fights with one another. And what does he say is behind all those? Well, behind all those are the wars within you, the wars within you. And so James asks in verse 1 here, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, if you've been in the habit and kind of getting used to James, normally we would expect a rhetorical question here. But that's not what this is. He does not ask a rhetorical question here. He doesn't give the answer within the question, which is what rhetorical questions do. And as you see that, perhaps 
He's doing this to get you and I thinking. Well, He's not just answering it for us right away. But He's wanting us to ask, yeah, what, what is behind that? You know, what is behind these wars and these conflicts that I'm having with these people around me? And hopefully you see instantly the relevance of the question because we've all done this, right? As children, we squabbled, (laughs) which I think as adults we try to say we're better than that. But if we're honest... We just hide it better than that. As adults, we do this too. Yet what he doesn't do with the first question here, James doesn't do with the first question, just laying out the answer for us. He does do it with the second question. So he says, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? So in other words, why you fight and why you quarrel, why there are wars among yourselves, it's because your passions or literally your pleasures, your appetites, your desires, they are at war within your heart. Behind your wrangling with one another, behind your wrangling, with your children, behind your wrangling with your spouse, behind the wrangling with fellow church members, why relationships are tangled all up is because your desires are at war within you. Now, he doesn't stop there, though. He dives into this. And he dissects this a bit here. And so, as part of his answer to his question, he makes plain first that we fight in war because we want something more than God. We want something more than God. And so we see this in verse 2. We want something so bad, and when it isn't given to us, we murder Now, right at this point, most of you are like, well, I haven't done that, so I must not be as bad as he is saying. Well, as we hear this, we're not to just limit it or limit it to this physical act. Though he does have that in mind, too. (laughs) He's not saying leave that out. Why you murder someone? Well, that's not related to your heart. It has something to do with something else going on. No, it includes the physical act. But it's more than that. Here we need to remember Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22? He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
And so our anger, our hatred of someone is part of this too. Anger in your heart towards someone else, whether it be that you have bitterness, you're not forgiving, they said something to you, or something else, it is from that that it goes out and it spills out and over all variety and into all variety of fights and quarrels and even into all out war because of what's going on inside of you. So James is warning us here. And he's saying that you and I need to deal first and foremost with our own hearts. Now, could it be we hold bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and we are holding a debt against someone else? And that that is at the root of why, even to this day, you are fighting with that person. You're fighting with your spouse or your children because you are not forgiving them. You're not letting it go. You are forgetting what God and Christ has done for you and you are holding it over them and you will not let it go. Well, God, he is calling us to see that this morning, that if that is why, if that is what is going on in your heart, you are not be going around with anger and hatred in your hearts towards others. That you're to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're to remember the kindness that he has shown to you. You're to remember that he died on the cross for you and what incredible debt he has forgiven you. And you are to say, Christ, I, I, I'm not perfect. I am a sinner. And I look at the cross and I see what you did for me. And by your grace, help me forgive them. And I forgive them. And so we let go of these things. Or as James, he goes on here to say that you covet. You want something else or something that someone else has, and so you long for it, you're jealous for it, and so you, de- you bite and you devour and you fight against someone else. Now, this could be anything. It could be money. It could be health. It could be friends. It could be sex. It could be power. It could be reputation. It could be troll, uh, control. It could be anything. You name it. It could be like something that someone has. Oh, I like that pen that guy has. I really want that. Again, we hear the echo of Jesus' words here in James' words. When Jesus, he said in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he, will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now we need to see here this morning that our warring is not one thing and our worship of God another thing. Could it be 
that God is not first in our hearts and in our affections and in our aims and in our pursuits and in our faith. That you won't deny self while you are bowing to yourself. You won't forgive. You won't be content. You won't trust God. You won't love God and others if self is king. But James doesn't end there, though. We don't have and we fight in war because we want something more than God and because we pray for something apart from God. That's certainly right to pray. We've done a good deal of that this morning. (laughs) It is good, and if you know the Lord, God is calling you to cast yourself before Him regularly. And so it is right to pray, but either we aren't praying as we're fighting and quarreling, or we are praying, but we're praying with the wrong motives. You don't pray because you don't think that you need to. You think that I can handle this on my own. This fight, this quarrel, I've got this. Or you do pray, but you pray because you think that God will give you what you want, so then you can do what you want. And you can do whatever you want. So you can have that idol. You can have that money. You can have that sex. You can have that health. You can have that power. And so the psalmist, he says, and and how right he is in Psalm 66, 18, which is getting at what James is saying here. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. How clever we can be. How many ways we can maneuver and position ourselves and try to hide in such a way that, you know, no one maybe will know what we're really about, what we're really aiming at, what we're really doing. And so it may well be that even a service like this or in a Bible study, maybe in your home group, you may make the loftiest of prayers. They might be ornate. They may be adorned with all of the right language. And yet behind that, we're really just praying for God to give us what we want so we can live in sin. How crafty we can be hiding behind so many things. Yet God is not fooled. He knows why you're praying. He knows your heart today, friends. He knows the iniquity. He knows that secret sin that you're wanting. He knows how you've been online and looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. He knows what you're doing. 
He knows what we're cherishing in our hearts. And so it is that God does not answer. And as we see that, if we're living in sin, it may well be that we just raise up our hands and say, give me my sin. But what we need to see in God not answering that prayer is we need to see that that is a mercy. God is being merciful to you to not just follow your sinful heart in giving you whatever you want. It's a mercy that he doesn't give us over to our sin. And so when you don't find an answer to prayer, it may well be a call for you to not throw up your fists, but to get on your knees, confess your sin to God, and to repent and to pray. And so as we see all this, we need to ask the question that James is certainly calling for us to ask. God is calling for us to ask. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? Is there a fight or quarrel that you have been having? Well, you need to go to this passage and you need to ask this question, what is it you want? And be honest here. Now, at at hearing this, you might say, oh, wait, wait a minute here. My spouse isn't being honest, though. (laughs) You know, my my coworker, they're not being honest about their sin. My friend isn't being honest about his sin. Why do I have to be honest about my sin? Now, be honest, that's exactly the way we react, right? But they're doing it. I mean, this is what children do, right? I mean, they're they're playing with that. Why can't I do that? They're, They're not sharing. Why are you getting on to me about it? And you, you ask yourself, why don't they deal with themselves too? And I, I say to that, you know, just I even pray as preparing for this, that the Lord would just help us here. The Lord would give us grace here. Because how quickly we miss the point of God's good word. We cleverly try to find a way around dealing with the sin that is in our own hearts. We're not to do that. As you hear the word of God today, you're not to go and be pointing at everybody else. You're to see these as merciful words for you to receive for yourself. How many conflicts would be resolved if you simply dealt with your own heart how what kind of wisdom might you then have that's pure peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere you're wondering where that's from that's right in the previous verses 
3.17. And what does he say? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so as you hear these things this morning, fill the pool, fill the tug, and fill that, fill these things, and see that God is mercifully calling you to deal not with everyone else's heart, not with everyone else's problems, but he's calling you to deal with your heart this morning. He's calling you to confess that sin this morning, and you know what it is. You know it's at root in these problems you've been having with your in-laws or your children or your family. And you're saying to yourself, no, I'm not going to do anything until they admit they're wrong. This is where we need to be honest. It's not common where one person sins and there's not just more than one person sinning at that moment. And so we need to be honest. Also, we need to ask ourselves another question. Why aren't you praying or why are you praying? (laughs) Have you asked God for his help and for his grace and for his wisdom? Are you going through this conflict? Are you going through this fight apart from God? So many times as we teach and disciple our children, I I just come to them and I say, well, have have you talked to God about this? Have you went to God and asked him for his help and for his grace? Well, that's what we need to be doing, is running to God in the midst of conflict. Or are you praying, but only so that you can live in your sin? And so look at your prayers or your lack of them and ask, why are you praying? You know, when... We pray very practically this morning. As you pray daily or whatever it is your practice of prayer. Or we pray in this service. You heard a word at the end of the prayer. Again and again. And we say it again and again. And what word is that? Amen. (laughs) Amen. What does that mean? Do you know what you're saying when you say amen? You're saying, God, let it be in accord with your will. So be it. Your will be done. That's what you're praying. That's what amen means. Well, that isn't just to be in our words at the end of a prayer, but that is to be our hearts. It's to be the tone of our prayer. Now, we're just simply saying, God, whatever is your will, may it be done. Amen. That's to be our heart. As we pray, as we walk through conflicts, as we wrestle through these things, amen, your will be done. Which means, sanctify me Discipline me, change me, grow me, do whatever you need to do. 
for your glory. That's to be our heart as we pray. Aim for his glory. Pray for his glory. And pray that this life would be his for his glory. And do you think that that is a prayer that God will answer? (laughs) When you pray for his name and his will to be, his name to be glorified and his will to be done, he'll answer that. So may that be our heart. May that be the demeanor of our prayers. So having, or after having addressed the wars within you, he now turns to address, second, the worldliness among you. The worldliness among you. And so in verse 4, we see some of the strongest words in the entirety of the letter of James. How much more strong can you get than these? You adulterous people. Not pulling punches, are you, James? (laughs) Not one to mince words. Just goes right on like a bull. And as as you hear that, don't think, oh, he's he's talking about marital infidelity. That's bad. Well, he's not talking about that. He's talking about hearts that belong to something else. He's talking about hearts that belong to someone else. Hearts that are sold out to the world. He's talking about spiritual adultery against God. Against the one who made you. Against the God who loves you. Against the God who loved you so much that he sent his son to save you. He's talking about adultery against him. This language he uses here, it's similar to the language that we see elsewhere in Scripture. Well, where would that be? Well, that would be in the Old Testament. And specifically with the people of Israel, we see this again and again. And so this is why Jeremiah, he he says in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband... So have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So while God was to be their life and their treasure and their everlasting fountain, instead, what the people of Israel did again and again is they went to broken cisterns that could hold absolutely no water. And that is spiritual adultery. Looking to what gives no life to give you life and to give you help. Things devoid of God, devoid of His Word, devoid of the truth. You adulterous people. This is what James is talking about. And so as we see all this, we need to see two things here and to make them clear. So first, see what friendship with the world is. See what what friendship with the world is. So again, we see, as James does, a rhetorical question. 
And he makes plain that friendship with the world is an enmity or hatred, rebellion against God. Adultery, spiritual adultery against God. So that's one. Then two. See, second, what worldliness is. What worldliness is. This isn't talking about you know, simply living in the world. Like you have your job, you know, you, you're doing this and that, you're going to the grocery store. We can only go to Christian grocery stores. Sorry. Only Christian auto you know, mechanics. You can only go to those. Nobody else. Well, that's not what he means here. This isn't talking simply about living in the world. It's about adopting it. It's taking on its ways, its ideas, its beliefs. It's drinking in the world in such a way that it's now in you. It's driving you, and it is what moves you primarily. The theologian David Wells, he defines worldliness this way. He says, worldliness is everything in the culture which makes sinning look normal. And righteousness look odd. And that, my friends, is even now what the church is being tempted to do and being tempted to be. Just adopt the world's ways. You're behind the times. Take on its views, take on its beliefs on marriage, on the family on gender, on life, on scripture. We must simply say to that, may it not be. May it not be that the pillar of truth would be a broken down building full of error. You know, sadly, how often I've seen people claim up and down their love for God. Well, there is no doubt what they're really about. I mean, it's, it's not even a question. They love the world. The world is the guiding criteria for their lives. And they have no problem with the world because they're friends with the world. As you see this, this is, this is more than watching movies or reading books or listening to music or to some podcast. It's the movie or book or music shaping you, defining you, forming you into its image. It's where it gets in you in such a way that you begin looking more like the world than Christ. And if that is you, here, James, James is warning here when he says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The defining criteria the defining guide, the defining standard, the defining authority in the life of a believer is to be Christ. 
And so flowing out from that, you go everywhere and do everything you do. And so as you hear all that James is saying here, ask yourself this. What then are you? What are you? Are you a friend of the world? Or as James said of Abraham in chapter 2, 23, are you a friend of God? Consider your hearts and consider them because the one who knows you made you and loves you. He yearns for you. He yearns for you. What grace that he would so love us. He doesn't need us. He didn't make you because he needs you. He didn't make you because he's like, well, I'm kind of lonely here. Maybe these people can fill the gap. Well, if that's the problem, we need whatever is filling God's gap. (laughs) Because that's God. God was utterly satisfied forever in himself. Needing nothing. And then he made us according to his good pleasure. And incredibly, he loves you so incredibly much. He yearns for you. (laughs) This is what James is getting at in verse 5. He's probably summarizing a number of passages here in the Old Testament, but he certainly has in mind Exodus 20, verse 5 which you'll recognize as the second of the Ten Commandments. So what does it say there? In view of carved images, we're exhorted, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God wants all of you. God alone is to be the treasure of your heart and nothing is to rise above him because nothing is greater or more worthy or more able to truly satisfy and save but him and him alone. Nothing this world has will ultimately satisfy your longing heart. This is why so many actors, actresses, rock stars, and so on, they get all the world has, and as they have it all, they say, can I just have a little bit more? And this time, even more extreme. Because every time they find that at the end of it all, it doesn't ultimately satisfy. They need the one that they were made for. And he yearns. For them, he yearns for you. And as we hear all of this, there's a right tension between us and the world. There's a right tension between us and the world. And that tension won't go away. We're in it, but we're not to be of it, as so many have said before me. However, if you feel no tension over these things this morning, if you have no tension 
in your family. You just kind of let it all come through. No filter. There's no, no such thing as like, well, let's just pause this for a second and talk about what God's word says. Is this right? There's no filter. You just The world is all you have flooding into your home and on your family. Well, you need to consider if perhaps the world smiles have lured you in. The Puritan Thomas Brooks, he said it well. Where 1,000 are destroyed by the world's frowns, 10,000 are destroyed by the world's smiles. So what are we to do in hearing all these things? Well, rather than being captivated by the world, we're to love and treasure and be captivated by Christ. In him is only good. Just think about that for a second. In him is only good. There's no evil. There's no deception. There's no lies. There's only the truth. Only true life. Only true joy. Only true peace. Behind the world's smiles is a sword. But behind the smile of Christ is true life true food, and an absolutely unbreakable cistern. So cast your heart before God this morning. Let it be his and his alone. In the midst of wars within and the world without, may our hearts be holy Christ's. May these words be true of us. Of St. Patrick, as he said so many years ago. But may they be true of our lives and our homes and us. As he says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, at, sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your great grace. Thank you for your word and showing us all these things this morning. We just simply pray the world behind us, the cross before us. In Jesus' name, amen.